poets and intellectuals of this time, the innovative minds, the intelligentsia, those that are breaking down the barriers and choosing a bohemian existence, escaping from dreary suburban ideals and materialistic death traps. Where are these engaging people? The risk takers, the revolutionaries, those living apart from this big unrest, those escaping the sterility of corporate junkies who get high on materialistic consumption. Welcome to the Bohemian Beat. We will journey beyond the horizon and find the artists living on the edge, going down into the murky waters of their very existence, where these brave souls have re-emerged with art that is challenging, original and brutal. You have tuned into The Bohemian Beat. I'm ready with you for the next hour with poetry and music. And okay, let's settle in with some music. Oh, oh, oh. This fish is in 
100% with cough syrup. Today we will start with American poet Anne Sexton, who lived between 1928 and 1974. She is known for her highly personal confessional verse. She won the Pulitzer Prize for Poetry in 1967 for her book Live or Die. She wrote about troubling, intimate experiences in a style intended to reveal raw feeling. Sexton dealt with such subjects as her mental illness, her sexuality and her parents and children from a specifically female point of view. She began to write with the encouragement of her psychiatrist. This poem is called Wanting to Die. Wanting to Die by Anne Sexton Since you ask, most days I cannot remember. I walk in my clothing, unmarked by that voyage. Then the almost unnameable lust returns. Even then, I have nothing against life. I know well the grass blades you mention, the furniture you have placed under the sun. But suicides have a special language. Like carpenters, they want to know which tools. They never ask, why build? Twice I have so simply declared myself, have possessed the enemy, eaten the enemy, have taken on his craft, his magic. In this way, heavy and thoughtful, warmer than oil or water, I have rested, drooling at the mouth hole. I did not think of my body at needlepoint. Even the cornea and the leftover urine were gone. Suicides have already betrayed the body. Stillborn, they don't always die, but dazzled. They can't forget a drug so sweet that even children would look on and smile. To thrust all that life under your tongue, that all by itself becomes a passion. Death's a sad bone, bruised, you'd say, and yet she waits for me, year after year, to so delicately undo an old wound, to empty my breath from its bad prison. Balance there, suicides sometimes meet, raging at the fruit a pumped-up moon, leaving the bread they mistook for a kiss, leaving the page of the book carelessly open, something unsaid, the phone off the hook, and the love, whatever it was, an infection. What's the point of pushing me down? What's the point of telling you now? I knew that you would die. Oh, I never wanted to be, I never wanted to be a lover of someone's.
Thoughts they catch that I need to unseal What is real in this dream is that I'm far away Too far for me to pay nationally since 2007 across the community radio network. We just heard Sumi with Never Wanted to Be. And before that, the poem Wanting to Die by Anne Sexton, read by Mullumbimby High School student Lucy. Anne Sexton's poetry remains the vision of a disturbed individual, but it attempts to speak for modern experience as a whole. Her approach follows a trend set by the confessional poets such as Sylvia Plath, John Berryman and Robert Lowe. Confessional poetry is a style of poetry that emerged in the United States during the 1950s and 1960s that has been described as poetry of the personal. The content of confessional poems is autobiographical and marked by its exploration of subject matter which was considered taboo at the time. In Sylvia Plath's poetry, she linked private images and motifs into sequences that formed part of a coherent drama, a symbolic enactment. The writing of this next poem, The Moon and the Yew Tree, was inspired by the cemetery across from the house she was living in Devon, England. The yew tree in front of the cemetery and the full moon overhead triggered the poem but its actual subject is a sense of doom that overhangs her inner landscape. This is the light of the mind, cold and planetary. The trees of the mind are black, the light is blue. The grasses unload their griefs on my feet as if I were God, prickling my ankles and murmuring of their humility. Fumy, spiritous mists inhabit this place, Separated from my house by a row of headstones, I simply cannot see where there is to get to. The moon is no door. It is a face in its own right, white as a knuckle and terribly upset. It drags the sea after it like a dark crime. It is quiet with the agape of complete despair. I live here. Twice on Sunday, the bells startle the sky. Eight great tongues affirming the resurrection. At the end, 
they soberly bong out their names. The yew tree points up. It has a gothic shape. The eyes lift after it and find the moon. The moon is my mother. She is not sweet like Mary. Her blue garments unloose small bats and owls. How I would like to believe in tenderness. The face of the effigy gentled by candles, bending, on me in particular, its mild eyes. I have fallen a long way. Clouds are flowering, blue and mystical, over the face of the stars, inside the church. The saints will all be blue, floating on their delicate feet over the cold pews. Their hands and faces stiff with holiness. The moon sees nothing of this. She is bald and wild, and the message of the yew tree is blackness. Blackness and silence. That was Glitter, reading a poem by Sylvia Plath called The Moon and the Yew Tree. Sylvia Plath, who lived between 1932 and 1963, was an American poet, novelist and short story writer. Plath is credited with advancing the genre of confessional poetry. In 1982, she won a posthumous Pulitzer Prize for the collected poems. She also wrote The Bell Jar, a semi-autobiographical novel published shortly before her death. In the novel, she gives a grim account of electroconvulsive therapy, which she received after suffering depression. I quote from the book, Don't worry, the nurse grinned down at me. The first time everybody's scared to death. I tried to smile, but my skin has gone stiff like parchment. Dr. Gordon was fitting two metal plates on either side of my head. He buckled them into place with a strap that dented my forehead and gave me a wire to bite. I shut my eyes. There was a brief silence like an indrawn breath. Then something bent down and took hold of me and shook me like the end of the world. Whish! It shrilled through an air crackling with blue light and with each flash a great jolt drubbed me till I thought my bones would break and the sap fly out of me like a split plant. I wondered what terrible thing it was that I had done. In this next poem by Plath, The Stones, the threat of a mental breakdown is no more a possibility but a fact. The poem deals with a hospital experience. Hospital is the city where men are mended. What underlines the metaphor is Plath's view of the body as a constructed piece. This is the city where men are mended. I lie in a great anvil. The flat blue sky circle flew off like the hat of a door when I fell out of the light. I entered the stomach of indifference, the wordless cupboard. The mother of pestles diminished me. I became a still pebble. The stones of the belly were peaceable, the headstone quiet, jostled by nothing. Only the mouth hole piped out, importunate cricket in a quarry of silences. The people of the city heard it. They hunted the stones, taciturn and separate, 
the mouth hole crying their locations. Drunk as a fetus, I suck at the paps of darkness. The food tubes embrace me. Sponges kiss my lichens away. The jewel master drives his chisel to pry open one stone eye. This is the after hell. I see the light. A wind unstoppers the chamber of the ear, old worrier. Water mollifies the flint lip and daylight lays its sameness on the wall. The grafters are cheerful, heating the pincers, hoisting the delicate hammers. A current agitates the wires, volt upon volt. Catgut stitches my fishes. A workman walks by carrying a pink torso. The storerooms are full of hearts. This is the city of spare parts. My swaddled legs and arms smell sweet as rubber. Here they can doctor heads or any limb. On Fridays, the little children come to trade their hooks for hands. Dead men leave eyes for others. Love is the uniform of my bald nurse. Love is the bone and sinew of my curse. The vase, reconstructed, houses the elusive rose. Ten fingers shape a bowl for shadows. My mendings itch. There is nothing to do. I shall be good as new. Sat sadly by her side at the window through the glass. She stroked a kitten in her lap, and we watched the world as it fell past. Softly she spoke these words to me with brand new eyes open wide. We pressed our Says to the glass as I sat sadly by her side. She said, Father, mother, sister, brother, uncle, aunt, and nephew, niece, soldier, sailor, physician, laborer. Scientist, mechanic, priest Earth and moon and sun and stars And planets and comets with tails blazing All are there forever falling, falling Lovely and amazing
turned to me and waited for me to reply Her hair was falling down her shoulders as I sat sadly by her side As I sat sadly by her side The kitten she did gently pales Over to me and again we pressed up Different faces to the glass That may be very well, I said But watch the one falling in the street See him gesture to his neighbors And see him trample beneath their feet All outward motion connects to nothing for is concerned with their immediate need When does the man reaching up from the gut To see the other one stumbling on who cannot see With trembling hand I turn to water I push the hair out of her eyes The kitten jumped back to her lap As I sat sadly by her side Then she drew the curtains down and said When will you ever learn That what happens there beyond the glass Is simply none of your concern God has given you but one heart You are not a home for the hearts of your brothers And God don't care for your benevolence anymore Than he cares for the lack of it in others Nor does he care for you to sit at windows in judgment of the world he created While sorrows pile up around you Ugly, useless and over-inflated She turned her head away Great tears leaping from her eyes I could not wipe the smile from my face As I sat sadly by her side As I sat sadly by her side
You are listening to The Bohemian Beat, brought to you by the Community Radio Network. That was Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds with, as I sat sadly by her side, and before that a poem by confessional poet Sylvia Plath called The Stones. The cult classic Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, an inquiry into values by Robert Persig, explores the metaphysics of quality where the narrator describes his philosophical investigations which eventually drove him insane and he was subjected to electroconvulsive therapy which permanently changed his personality. The narrator and his son Chris are on a motorcycle journey from Minnesota to Northern California. Many of these discussions are tied together by the story of the narrator's own past self who is referred to in the third person as Phaedrus. After Plato's dialogue, Phaedrus, a teacher of creative and technical writing at a small college, became engrossed in the question of what defines good writing and what in general defines good or quality. In this next piece, the narrator and his son are camping. Chris has cried himself asleep at last, and I am wide awake watching shimmering flecks of moonlight and listening to the wind. There is no question now. Phaedrus saw and heard all of this. Why he came this way, I may never know, but he did. And today, he steered me onto this strange road. He's been with me all along, all the way from Minnesota. And now I understand there will be no escape. Everything I've said, all the ideas about technology and the Buddha and motorcycles, it's all him. I haven't had a new idea in years. They are stolen from Phaedrus. And that is why he is here. No. No, that is not why he is here. Evil spirit, insane, from a world without life or death. He has come to take Chris. Though it's only 9.30, it's in the 80s already. Hot. But there is no traffic on this road, so we're moving right along. It's a traveling day. And I'd like to use it to tell you about Phaedrus. Nobody believed his ideas. Nobody understood him. In time, he was forgotten. I prefer him to stay forgotten, but I have no choice. I don't know his whole story anymore, but from his writings and from fragments of my own recall... I can put together an approximation of his ideas. My purpose is not to praise Phaedrus. My purpose is to bury him. Properly and forever this time. He began his journey into madness by dividing human understanding into two kinds. Romantic understanding and classical understanding. Romantic understanding is inspirational, imaginative, creative, intuitive. Classical understanding proceeds by reasons and laws. Although motorcycle riding is romantic, motorcycle maintenance is purely classical. The dirt, the grease, the mastery of underlying form it requires all give motorcycle maintenance a negative romantic appeal that seems to be essentially masculine. I wonder if that's why you often see women riding motorcycles, but you never see them owning one. 
To a romantic, the classical mode seems dull and deadly. To the classic mind, the romantic mode seems frivolous and shallow. Two ways of seeing, forever separate and suspicious of each other. Phaedrus wanted to unify these ways of seeing, and indeed, he came to believe that he had done so, if only the world would listen. Across the line into Montana. Can you see the sign? All I can see is the back of your head. Sorry. Sylvia's waving her arms up and down. But my feelings are not jubilant at all. This is where Phaedrus lived. I have a fragment of a memory of him that came back to me last night in the motel. He had been up in the mountains for three days without food. Just thinking. In the dusk, he saw an animal coming down the trail towards him. He stared into its eyes for a long time, sensing some kind of recognition in what he saw there. Only later did he realize that it was a timber wolf, and he came to see that wolf as an image of himself. The cold-eyed, fanatical hunter. Except that his prey wasn't food, it was the ghost of rationality. That Western way of thinking that he believed had divided us into inside and outside, romantic and classical, here and there, then and now, you and me. How do I know all this stuff about Phaedrus? I first met him on a Friday, many years ago. I had gone to work, got a lot done, went to a party where, after talking to everybody too long and too loudly and drinking way too much, I went into a back room to lie down for a while. When I woke, it was daylight, and I'd slept right through the night, which was embarrassing because I didn't even know the names of the hosts. The room looked different, but it had been dark, and anyway, I was blind drunk when I lay down. Then I saw that these were not the clothes I had been wearing. I opened the door, but to my surprise, the doorway led not to the rooms of a house, but into a long corridor. Uh, hi. Uh, uh, can, can you help me, please? Hey. Hi there. Did you just come out of... Uh, yeah, yeah, I was, um... <laughs> I was asleep through there. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm looking for the way out. Uh-huh. How are you feeling? Martha, could you? Oh, my God. Yeah. Could you? Sure. How are you feeling? Uh, okay. Uh, no hangover. Yeah? <laughs> it's okay. Hi. He just woke up, he says. Yeah, uh, hi. I'm, uh, I'm looking for the way out. <laughs> I need to go home. Sure. You'll be going home any day now. Isn't it very early for this to be happening? It's incredible. Have, uh, uh, have I been ill? Is, is this a hospital? Uh, sit down with me for a second. There's something you need to understand. Tell me what you remember, would you? I, uh, I, I woke up in a room over there. Before that? Uh, I, 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 was, I was at a party, I think. And before that? Before that, I... 
I, 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 I don't remember anything before that. That's good. What, what is good? Is, is this a dream? I know, I, 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 I want to wake up from this. Here we go. What, what, what is this? Just something to calm you. Take his arm. Whoa, what, what is, what, is, is, is this a dream? Do you great harm? 
allegiance had shifted The betrayal, the delusions I come to the rejection The isolation, the breakdowns and mysterious injections Rasputina with a retinue of moons and the infidel in me from her O Perilous World CD and before that from a BBC radio dramatisation of Robert Persage best-selling philosophical novel Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance a deep exploration of the underlining metaphysics of Western culture 
Persig has stated that the book took about four years to write, and during two of those, he continued working at his job of writing computer manuals, which caused him to fall into the unorthodox schedule of waking up each morning at 2am and writing until 6am before going to his day job. He joked that his co-workers noticed that he was a lot less perky than everybody else. No, this isn't the dream. What you have to understand is that everything before you woke up a few minutes ago, that was the dream. Huh? Okay? You'll be asleep again soon. It'll take a while to get used to. Get used to what? You're a new person now. You have a new personality now. Later, I was handed a piece of paper telling me that some man whose name meant nothing to me had been committed as insane. That was my first inkling of the existence of the man I now call Phaedrus. And he was dead. Destroyed by order of the court. Enforced by the transmission of high-voltage alternating current through the lobes of his brain in a technological process known as Annihilation ECS. I have never met him, and I never will. But he once owned these hands. He once saw the world through these eyes. The road winds upwards and the air starts to cool. The sun angles toward the cloud and a blissful cold wind comes down with pine smells from the trees. We reach the top of the climb and there are John and Sylvia waiting for us. And we look down on the huge river valley below. What did you do this morning? Oh, we're 2,500 feet now. We'll be going a lot higher. That makes the engines run, Reg, so I decided to change the standard jets. Um, do you have any idea what he's talking about? None at all. I think of it as a kind of holy ceremony. The tools are religious icons, and I'm performing holy rites with them. Right on the edge of the classic romantic barrier where there are two motorcycles. One which is as it appears on the surface to the rider and the other one only the mechanic sees. Which is its underlying form. So today I changed the underlying form of my motorcycle. And that took you all morning. <laughs> right. Uh, no, no, I, I had time left over to restitch these old gloves of mine. <laughs> I'll let you in on a secret. You can buy a new pair for five dollars. Yeah, but they wouldn't be these gloves. They're so filled with sweat and dirt and spat of bugs that when I set them down on a table, they won't lay flat anymore. <laughs> See? They got a memory of their own. So I keep on restitching them, which is impractical, I know, but practicality isn't the whole thing with gloves or with a lot of other things in life. I still don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> 
noise you can hear up ahead of us is John's BMW backfiring as the engine tries to cope with a lack of oxygen as we go higher and higher. It'll threaten to stop, but it won't. He doesn't know that, however, which is why he's looking fearful, worried that yet another piece of technology is going to somehow make a fool of him, fail to deliver its promises. Thought that John had to push away what I was saying earlier about the holy rites, make a joke of it. All I'm talking about is the Buddhist idea of total identification with what you're doing. The very state of mind that produces good work, good experiences. It's odd, because I've seen John at work when he's drumming. He calls it being in the groove. He isn't the drummer, he isn't the drum. He is the drum beat. It's just that I get that oneness when I fix my motorcycle. We're above the timberline now, between steep banks of snow where the plows have been through four feet high, then six feet, then twelve, almost a tunnel of snow. Above us and beyond us are further mountain ranges of snow. We are in the high country. Chris is silent behind me. I told him the Sutherlands were turning back at Bozeman. I didn't think he'd care, but he did. Because, of course, he takes everything as a personal criticism now. Maybe this is a trip I should have made alone. Like Phaedrus always did. He traveled alone in the high country of the mind. He just didn't see the dangers of asking those big questions. What is the purpose of all this? Most people, sane people, have a sense that these questions will lead you into a wilderness so dense you might never find your way out again. But Phaedrus kept on asking, what is the truth, and how do you know it when you have it? How do we really know anything? Is there an I, a soul, which knows, or is this soul merely cells coordinating senses? Is reality basically changing, or is it fixed and permanent? When we say something means something, what do we mean by that? How do we really know anything? He traveled on, ever upwards and upwards, and alone, always alone.
listening to the Bohemian Beat, and that was Polakras 18 with A Line A Line, which is German for alone. And before that, from a BBC radio dramatisation of the cult novel Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance by Robert Persig. Well, we have come to the end of the hour. I hope you've enjoyed listening to the Bohemian Beat today and make sure you tune in again next week for more Poetic Perspectives. If you have any comments or requests, please feel free to contact me and check out the website www.thebohemianbeat.com. We will end with a cover of Leonard Cohen's song who by fire from a CD called If Grief Could Wait. Thank you for joining me on the Bohemian Beat. I'm ready. And who by fire, who by water, who in the sunshine. Who in the night Who by high or deep Who by common try Who in your merry, merry month of May Who by very slow decay And who shall I say is calling and who in her lonely slip who by barbiturate who in this realms of love who by something blunt and who by avalanche who by powder Who in 
Shall I?